Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. The voice has returned. What's up, Ian? Not too much. Uh, I'm glad that you're not as sick as you were last week. Uh, with you, there's always something, uh, whether it's like a punctured lung or like you're, you're like a playoff uh, performer in the NHL. Well, I mean, what is it this week? Should we just talk about how I got stung by a wasp today? Because that happened. That's just again, when you told me that, I wasn't surprised. I'm just I've, like, it's always if it's not one thing, it's another with you. <laughs> I was honestly so upset, too, because I was like, man, like this is such a good day. Like, I'm going to go home, going to record the podcast, and then, like, bam, on the back of the neck, and my day was wrecked. You having a, a good day is like having a PDO of, like, 109. It's just not sustainable whatsoever. You sh- should have known that was going to come crashing down. I, I I know. It's, like, first day feeling better and beasting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, we're going to do our season preview today. If you're looking for the Metro Division, which we're not including today, that was in an earlier podcast which episode was that in? I'm just going to quickly look it up here. I want to say that was in, like, the first one we did when we came back. Like, it might have been the first one of the season. Yeah, so that's September 9th. It's called Risk versus Reward Contracts. Towards the tail end of there, you can listen to the Metro Division, which we break down. We basically break down why it's kind of going to be, in my opinion, the most interesting division in hockey because every single team could make the playoffs or miss the playoffs. In fact, if you look at someone like Micah Blake McCurdy's season preview, they're all pretty close to 50%. No one's in the 80% range. No one's in the 20% range. They're all hovering around closer to 50. So that's going to be an interesting division. Today, we're going to focus on the other three. So the Central, the Pacific, And the Atlantic, but since we're from the Toronto area, we're going to save the Atlantic for last because we don't want to have that super uh, East Coast bias that there is in a lot of uh, hockey analysis. Which one did you want to start with? Do you want to do Pacific or Central first? I think let's do Pacific, right? The Canadian teams are there. We'll still, we'll start there. Um, I I mean, you're excluding Winnipeg as a Canadian team. Okay, three of the four Western Canadian (laughs) teams. I mean, uh, the Canadian teams that have a legitimate chance of making the playoffs. Oh, I'm sorry. That's very... That's, that's so that, mean. That's getting a, a bit ahead of ourselves on, on the Winnipeg one. We'll, we'll talk about them, but they're going to be a fascinating team. But let's, let's go Pacific. The way we're going to do this is we'll do 15 minutes each for the Pacific, 15 minutes for the Central, and then whatever time we have left for the Atlantic. Hopefully it's 15 minutes. Maybe it's closer to 10, but yeah. we'll try to even it out. Who is your favorite in the Pacific Division? I've got, I mean, like, I have three teams that are going to be, that I think are going to take up the spots, but I've got Calgary winning the division. Ooh, interesting. What okay. about you? I love Vegas this year. I mean, ever okay, since they I have acquired Mark, second. <laughs> once they acquired Mark Stone, I think from that point onwards, there's an argument to be made that they were the best team in the NHL. And in the playoffs, they went seven games, and then that weirdness happened in the last game. But I wouldn't have been shocked if, if they had made a, a, another cup run this past year because their success last year, post-Mark uh, Stone, was very sustainable. They were close to 60% of the shots and the scoring chances at 5-on-5. Five five. They had a pretty solid power play. You like their goaltending with Marc-Andre Fleury there, so... I don't know. I, I look at the roster. I don't see a lot of holes. I just, I really like what I see in Vegas. Well, yeah, now you, you take into account that they're n- probably not going to be missing Nate Schmidt for a, a bunch of games this year because, I mean, unless he gets hurt, 
or a lengthy suspension, like he should be in the lineup. That'll be a big boost. Having Mark Stone for a full year, always great to have a just a top line winger for a full season. Um, top five player in the league, in my opinion, probably will be nominated for the Selkie this year. Like, I'd like to see him nominated for the heart, which is where he probably should have been nominated last year. But we'll see what kind of year he has. He's just I wonder such a what the stats are on guys who are traded mid-season winning the heart. Because I don't think it's very many. Because didn't and Joe it's hard because win what it? value did he provide on Ottawa's team who had no chance of making the playoffs? But if you look at his on-off numbers on Ottawa, I think it's is it the best we've seen over the last ten years? It was just ridiculous. They were literally out shooting teams at five on five with Mark Stone, and without him, they were worse than the Buffalo Sabers who were tanking. It's just it's such a stark. Contrast. Well, it's it's either that or it's I want to maybe it was last year, like not this past season, but the season before. Edmonton with McDavid and without McDavid. So what do we do with Edmonton? Because I feel like they're a league average save percentage away from being a somewhat interesting team. So here's one. I feel like this pertains to Edmonton a lot more than the other teams. It's no secret that they need wingers, right? Like, are you, do you agree that Leon Dreisaitl needs to drive his own line? Like he needs to drive that second line by himself, right? He can't be playing. Dom... Dom Lushijan put out an awesome tweet. He looked at the top eight wingers available on waivers, and then he looked at the Oilers' eight wingers in their <laughs> opening night lineup. And, uh, oh, no. and he found the, the wingers that were available on waivers had more value when it comes to on-ice performance, point production, driving play, than the, the wingers that the Oilers have gone into the season with. So, so yeah, like I just... That's not great. <laughs> I would say, like, couple targets for them. Josh Hosang... Um, Nick Patan, probably. Daniel Sprong's available. Daniel I mean, Sprong, Sven Barchi. Like, we're going to date ourselves pretty heavily when uh, both those players clear waivers. But I don't even care. Like, those are good names, and I think maybe some of them have some reputations attached to them. Um, but when you're Edmonton and you're in desperate need of wingers, and that type of skill's available on waivers for free... I mean, you got to take a swing at at least one of them, don't you? Like, what, are you going to open the season with Thomas Yurcho on McDavid's line? I, hey, I kind of like Thomas Yurko. Okay? I do, but all... I don't like him playing with McDavid. Yeah, I know. And I remember Zach Cassian on McDavid's line. Can yeah. we stop talking about the Oilers' wingers? I feel like this is just this has become a very sad podcast. Now. Okay, but if they get, like, three wingers that can even get 40 points... Okay, James Neal, probably pencil him in for 20 goals alongside McDavid, yeah, right? 100%. That one's easy. So, who are the other two? I mean, is that uh, who was the one who scored a bunch of goals last year, surprisingly? Was that Chase on? Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know if it's going to be him again, but someone's going to have a year like that. I feel like they're just one trade or acquisition away from having a half-decent team because Connor McDavid, when he's on the ice, is clearly the best player in hockey. Their penalty kill has been weird for the last couple of years. Their, their goaltending has been weird. If those areas of the game can be league average, I feel like Connor McDavid's enough to give you a chance at the playoffs. But. That's, yeah, like I, I don't think ever writing off Edmonton completely is a good idea just because it's one of those things where do you want to bet against Connor McDavid? Because he like what if he puts up 130 things. points? What if he puts exactly. up 140 points? That's not completely out of the realm of possibility. No, would it even shock you at all? It would with the wingers he has, but it, it, again, I, if I hear at the end of the year, Connor McDavid puts up 135 points, I'm like, well, probably, yeah, yeah. he has the talent to do that. <laughs> so if he, let's say Edmonton gets league average goaltending, okay? Let's just say they have league average goaltending, and somehow 
they get a bigger contribution from their wingers. You think they're a bubble team? I do. I think a lot of teams are bubble teams. I feel like we've learned that a lot can go right and a lot can go wrong with the shooting percentages and the save percentages and that if you can get yourself close to the bubble, a lot of teams have a chance because hockey is such a random sport. So even teams that we're calling locks for the playoffs, sometimes those teams have injuries, sometimes stuff goes wrong, sometimes the goaltender has an off year, and all of a sudden they're a bubble team and then maybe they miss the playoffs. I know we saw that with the LA Kings the year after they won their, their last Stanley Cup, so... Nothing's impossible with hockey. Heck, the Vegas Golden Knights made it to a cup final in their first year existing as a franchise. Anything can happen. So who finishes higher? Let's say all things equal. Who finishes higher, Vancouver or Edmonton? Oh, I I have more confidence in Vancouver personally. Uh, Me too. (laughs) I I strangely like their roster. I don't know. It comes down to what I think of their high-end talent. I wouldn't be shocked if Quinn Hughes is a top-pairing defenseman when it comes to his on-ice impact by the end of the season. I wouldn't be shocked if Thatcher Demko's a starting goalie. And Jak- Jacob Markstrom, if you look at some of the closer stats that we don't have access to publicly, mm-hmm. he was one of the best goalies in the league last year yep. after adjusting for context. So, I mean, that could be a very good goalie tandem. I think the power play can get a lot better with Elias Pettersson's slap shot from the top of the right circle there. I think you hope to get some better production on your second line with someone like JT Miller playing alongside Bo Horvat. Or is he going to be playing alongside Pedersen? What are the lines in Vancouver this year? Ooh. I mean, they might change them up. They might see what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I mean, I would I would try Besser with Pedersen because I feel like that could go amazingly well and be so highly entertaining. I just, I want it to happen. Um, I'm looking at their lineup and I don't hate it. Michael Furland... I like him. He's a good player. Oh, me too. He's going to score goals. Josh Levo, is he going to be on the third line? I don't know. Always thought that he's underrated. Um, I think he could probably play with Horvat. Go Google some of Harmon Dial's uh, articles on Antoine Roussel, and you'll find out why he's one of the more underrated third liners in hockey. He's just a sneaky good player. Jake Vertanen's always had the tools and never found a way to break through, but last year he started to break through a little bit. I'm wondering, does he take a step forward? And then what it really comes down to is, is Adam Gaudet ready? Because if Adam Gaudet is... That's the thing. He's projected on, on Dom's, Lucision's, uh, like model to not be a good player because he really struggled last year. But, you know, here's the thing about 20, 21-year-olds. They get a lot better, and Adam Gaudet looks a lot better. Now, let's not let the preseason, you know, make, it, yeah, make, us, the preseason's make judgments uh, too quickly on a player. Exactly. Who was that player in Edmonton last year who scored a bazillion goals in the preseason? Uh, Ty Ratty. Yeah, Ty Ratty. We all thought Ty Ratty was going to have a breakout year on McDavid's wing, and it, it just didn't happen. So I don't want to have too much confidence in a young player, but of course I not. like Especially at the beginning of the year. young talent. I like their young talent. I have question marks on the blue line, but I mean, it, it, could Chris Tanev have a bit of a bounce back here playing alongside Quinn Hughes? I don't think that's crazy. Tyler Myers, I don't love him, but at the same time, he's, he's better than what they had last year. Oh, so, well, yeah, I mean, that goes without saying. They still have Edler, who's very serviceable. You inject Quinn Hughes in there, who I would be shocked if he wasn't running their first power play unit and wasn't leading them in exit passes and even ent- like controlled entries against like Quinn Hughes is such a good defenseman. I think because he was a like he wasn't watched as much as Michigan at much as at Michigan last year, um, and he only played a couple games in Vancouver towards the end of the year. I think. Like, but him and Kale McCarr, I think, are gonna battle it out for the. Calder. I was about to ask you who has a better year, Quinn Hughes or Kale McCarr. 
I think Kale McCarr does because of the supporting cast he has in Colorado. I agree. I think when you're passing McKinnon and you're passing to Rantanen on the power play, then again, if Quinn Hughes is passing it to Elias Pettersson on that right flank, he could pick up a lot of assists. So I don't know. I'm not saying Vancouver's going to make the playoffs, but I think they'll be in the hunt. Oh, me too. I really think Vancouver will push, and, and they might get a wild card spot. Or if something goes wrong up top with injuries or something like, obviously, we. I think you have San Jose penciled in in the playoffs as well, do you not? I. It, it's hard with Eric Carlson and Brent Burns on that blue line. You have those <laughs> two guys on the ice for 50 minutes a night. Yeah. You're probably going to generate a ton offensively. Your goaltender probably isn't going to love you too much. But at the end of the day, I think you're going to be a very good team. Right, so I think if something happens with one of those teams, or maybe they they surprise some people, right? Uh, teams teams with young players tend to do that. Um, so I could I could definitely see Vancouver getting in the playoffs if if things go well for them. All right, which team in the Pacific do you think is the most overrated? Oh, yeah, just trying to catch you off guard here. Just really. Ooh, um, can I? Because s- I have my most underrated team. And I don't know if this is crazy. This might sound completely crazy. I think the LA Kings are sneaky underrated in that. I think everyone's just written them off. (laughs) I think everyone's written them off. And look, Doughty had the worst year of his career last year. I think everyone on that team just kind of stopped trying. Go look at Tyler Tyler Toffoli's shooting percentage. Wasn't it like 4% or something? It was... He scored about half as many goals as he should have. I think he's going to score a lot more goals this year. I think Anze Kopitar is a better year. I don't know how Ilya Kovalchuk can have a worse year. So oh, you I just can, feel you can't. We'll see. I mean, he can prove us wrong, but Jonathan Quick can't have a worse year. Uh, no. Everyone on their team had career worst years. You tend to bounce back from those. Am I saying they bounce back and be a contender? No, but if they're hovering around 90 points by the end of the year, will I be shocked? I won't be shocked. What so. about Arizona? I- they got Kessel playing with Keller. Dvorak will be healthy. Who knows with Anti-Ranta. Their D's still pretty good. Like I think they were just decimated by injuries last year, and people are sleeping on them. I feel like I'm supposed to love Arizona. How can I feel you not? Like- which player on their team can drive play at five on five? This is, yeah, this is my issue. Who, like their defensemen are great. I love the defense. I, I think Jalmerson is maybe the most underrated defenseman in hockey. I think. You mean uh, other than Jacob Slavin, because people apparently just forget he exists most of the time. Jacob Slavin, Brett Pesci, can pick any of <laughs> Anybody <Carolina>. in Carolina. <laughs> really. Sebastian Aho might be the most underrated forward in hockey, but... Uh, yeah, anti-Ranta, this is what it comes down to for me. If he stays healthy for 50 games, let's say 50 to 55, then yeah, I think Arizona's a bubble team, but he hasn't shown a proven ability to do that with consistency, so I'm a bit torn there. You hope that Clayton Keller takes a step forward in his play-driving ability. You hope that Nick Schmaltz can drive play. You hope that a lot of their young players come in and, and can drive play. Does Barrett Hayton get a shot with them this year? We'll see, but I feel like all their forwards are these fun little skill guys, but none of them have had a a consistent track record of driving play at five on five. I think they might have the best penalty kill in the NHL. They did last year. And Michael Grabner's there again. You have Michael Grabner, Nicholas Jalmerson. Those are probably the two best at their position in the league at penalty killing. And I like this team. I like the idea of it. I just, I've seen this before and you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm not buying it. I'm just going to say, I don't think Arizona tops 
85 points this year just because at 5-on-5, five five, I think they're a below-average team. I, I don't like them at 5-on-5. Five five. Fair And enough. I don't see a power play. I don't see a power play that's going to be above league average. That's another area they've really struggled. All right. So with that, I think we touched every team in, except Anaheim, and they have John Gibson, and that's pretty much it. So Hold up. The Randy Carlisle effect is real. Remember what happened when he stopped coaching the Leafs and they brought in Mike Babcock with a team that had a terrible roster? They still were very solid at 5-on-5. Five five. They just didn't have the scoring talent. This is a team with Andre Kasha, Ricard Raquel. Uh, Sam Steele might take a step forward. Jakob Silverberg's still good. I bet you Hampus Lindholm has a huge year. I bet him and Josh Manson perform much better than they did last year. I bet Cam Fowler plays a lot better. See, for me, the, the only sure thing on Anaheim is that John Gibson's going to be very good. I think he's going to be even better than he was last year because I think last year there was a lot of mental strain of having to be the guy. The first two months of the season, he did it, but I bet you afterwards he was a bit worn out from it, and that's why his performance dropped off a bit. Do you think so he gets more than one Vesna vote this year? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't like voting against tradition, so we'll go with no. But you know. All right, so now that we've hit the Pacific, we will go to the other division which I think is the probably the most interesting one in the Central. Okay. I'm still of the opinion that the Metro is more interesting, but I, I see where you're coming from because I'm looking at these teams. All of them have question marks, in my opinion. Yeah, like I think in the Metro, it's literally anybody and anything can happen. But in the Central, you have like, oh my goodness, these teams are really good, but this is their one flaw kind of thing. I have St. Louis at the top of the pile. Okay. Do you have Nashville ahead of them? I don't even have St. Louis getting a division spot. What? Yeah. Did you see how they played after they changed coaches? They were a top three team in the league last year. Uh, my concern is not with how they play. My concern is teams will now have a big sample of video on Jordan Bennington, and sophomore goaltending tends to not go very well sometimes. Are you telling me you don't trust backup Jake Allen to come in and, and make a bunch of saves for this uh, team? No, actually, I don't. Okay. I think Jordan Bennington regresses to, let's say, a league average goalie. I agree. Like, I don't think he has a 950. Well, what did he have? I think it was actually, by the end of the season, it was, was it a 927? It was too high. Yeah, and in the playoffs, <laughs> I feel like his playoff save percentage was more indicative was of the higher. goalie he is than his regular season save percentage. Yeah. What did he save in the playoffs? What was his save percentage? It was a 9.27 in the regular season. Uh, so he was 9.27 last year. You're right. Um, in the playoffs, he was he was 9.14. But the thing was, in the playoffs, he made the key saves, right? He didn't make all the saves, but when they oh needed gosh, a save, he made the save, especially in the Winnipeg series. Okay, here's my problem with that argument. What if you let in a soft one earlier, but then you save a really hard one later? It's still the same end result. It's the momentum thing, though, man. The psyche... Think about it. Let's see. So it's better to let in a goal. No, think like, about it from this perspective. The game's 0-0, zero, zero, okay? <laughs> you let in a softie, and now you're down one nothing, Or your team's up 3 nothing, and you let in a softie, but it's still 3-1. Like, the psyche on that one is a little different. Well, I think that just might be the difference between playing on a good team and a not-great team. But So, Central Division. Who are your top three? My top three are St. Louis... Nashville and Colorado. Okay, so I'm Nashville, Colorado, and then I'm assuming Bufflin comes back, so I have Winnipeg. Ooh, that's a tough one, because 
I feel I, like that might I, be I have no idea on that one, right? That's the really tough part. If he doesn't come back, I don't, then even, I have think they make, I don't even think they make the playoffs, honestly. Who's, who, who's going to play defense for that team other than Josh Morrissey? So it's so funny when someone asked me like what I thought. I said if if Bufflin comes back, I think it has a big enough impact that they finish like third in the division or first wild card. If he doesn't come back, I don't think Winnipeg makes the playoffs. They got outshot and outchanced at five on five last year with with Jacob Truba and Dustin Bufflin. Without them, they're gonna get decimated at five on five. Patrick Lane, Blake Wheeler, Mark Shifley, that's gonna be an awesome power play no matter what. I mean, Kyle Connor at the net front. Their power play is so insane. And it's mainly it's because so of Lane. I mean, Lane, teams are so terrified of him that opens up space in the middle of the ice for Mark Shifley. And that's why he has so many wide open one timers from the slot. No Which other you player. You should be like equally terrified of Mark Shifley getting a one timer in the slot. Who, who gets more space? Mark Shifley or TJ Oshie in the middle of the ice on a power play? I still think it's Shifley. <laughs> okay. I feel like TJ Oshie might get more space, but Shifley does more with it because he's a better player. But. Yeah, with Winnipeg, they have so many talented players, but it's kind of the Arizona problem. How many of them drive play at 5-on-5? Five five? Well, I think Shifley's a play driver, no? De- debatable. It depends on who you talk to, because he obviously has the skills to do it, but the 5-on-5 five five results haven't been there the last year or two. So Wheeler was someone who always did in the past. I was going to say Wheeler. <laughs> he did in the past, but now he isn't driving play as well, even though the point but totals are high. 96 points. Yeah, but are we just evaluating players by points? Like No, but what I'm Rasmus saying is, is they're great. gonna score. <laughs> Rasmus Ristolainen is not good. That's so my point. No. That's my point. But what I'm saying is is in Winnipeg, like they're gonna score. I'm just saying I think they're also gonna give up a lot because So then how good is Neil Point is in their top four. Yeah, that's Neil Point might be on their top pair. That's Pionk? Mm. Am I pronouncing that right? I don't know. He's oh, not... but they, I think they kept Vili Hainola, their first round pick. I was really high on him at the draft. He had a phenomenal preseason. I'm curious to see if he stays with it. He might have to if, if they don't have anyone else. I've always been a bit high on Sammy Niku as well. He's a young defense. I like Sammy Niku. I don't top pair like Sammy Niku, but I like Sammy Niku. Yeah, I like Sammy Niku in sheltered minutes getting a, you know, a chance in the NHL level, but throwing him into the flames, I'm not sure if that's going to be the best way to do it. So let's talk about our favorite team in the Central, which obviously has to be Colorado. Yeah, I I don't think they're the favorite to win the division, but they're going to be my favorite to watch because I feel like they took advantage of all the cap space they had this summer. Their top four defensemen, well, maybe not top four, but they're going to have Samuel Gerrard, they're going to have Kale McCarr, uh, they're going to have Eric Johnson, who's slightly underrated. Don't forget Connor Timmins. And is Connor Timmins going to be in the league to start the year? I wasn't sure if they were keeping him or if he was AHL. I don't know if they're going to keep him, and it, he probably will. I would say he probably plays half the year, so maybe about 35 to 45 games, kind of in between there. But I would say, like, their top four in the next two years is Sam Gerard, Kale McCarr, Bowen Byram, Connor Timmons. That's insanely good. Also, compare Colorado's depth chart last year to this year. This is the most depth they've they've had in the last few years. They just... Yeah, because Kadri in the middle. They have Eunice Donskoy and Andre Burakovsky joining the team. Right. All three of them, I think, are going to have huge bounce back years. Maybe together on a line. That would be fun. Well, think about it. So last year, they were kind of a one... They weren't kind of a one-line team. They were absolutely a one-line team. That's kind of what I was getting at, is they were a one-line team because, like, guys like Kerfoot were playing on the second line. Well, you got Nazem Kadri who was playing on the third line in Toronto because they have Austin Matthews and John Tavares. Well, Colorado has Nathan McKinnon, 
but then they need someone underneath McKinnon to kind of maybe take some of that load off. Kadri can penalty kill. Kadri can contribute. Like, he's had a 30-goal season. He's proven he can be a shutdown center. Like He can drive I, play with anyone. He's driven play yeah, with Leo Komarov and Connor Brown. He's driven play with Par Lindholm and Connor Brown as well. It's Again, like, you can put anyone on this guy's wing. You can give him tough competition, and he's going to come out on top. So if you give him two skilled players, yeah, I mean... I'm really looking forward to watching Colorado because Nathan McKinnon is must see TV. I'm not, he hasn't supplanted McDavid because McDavid's obviously the better player and the more entertaining player. But when McKinnon is skating full speed, like downhill, going up against a defender one on one, that might be my favorite thing to watch in the NHL right now. It's just terrifying. Oh, he is absolutely terrifying. And I think for me, every Colorado Edmonton game is appointment television. Especially because when McDavid's off the ice, it's just going to be the McKinnon show or the Nazem Kadri show because they have nothing else behind McDavid. Uh, I'm assuming Drysaddle's on a line with McDavid. If Drysaddle's centering his own line, then oh, poor Drysaddle. <laughs> yeah, I just I think Colorado's going to be so much fun to watch. I mean, even though they traded away Barry, like they traded from a position of strength to get something from a position of weakness in terms of Nazem Kadri, and they got Callie Rosen, who I think. I mean, he didn't really get his chance in Toronto, but I think he's a he's a serviceable five six defenseman. I think he's sneaky good, especially at moving yeah. the puck. I'm not saying he's gonna like you know change games or anything, but I think he's an NHL player. A couple good exit passes to Nathan McKinnon and Bob's your uncle. Like just put it like just put it anywhere in throw he, it near there. him. If it, if the puck's somewhere near him, he'll get it. So does Colorado regress at all this year? You think they they get even better? I think the aspects of their game that we're going to regress are going to regress. You know what I mean? Like I'm I'm not sure if the the shooting percentages stay as high on the power play or at five and five, but I think their second and third lines are going to be drastically better to a sustainable degree. So yeah, like I think their shooting percentages regress, especially on the top line. But I think that their overall skill in the bottom, like three lines I guess everything below the top line has improved to the point where it will make up for the fact that there is going to be regression from a shooting perspective all right thoughts on my Minnesota Wild is this the year Kevin Fiala finally shows us what he's got huh huh Ooh, Minnesota's historically always defensive though and that's not Kevin Fiala what about Ryan Donato who I'm sure we both I like Ryan Donato yeah I just there are so many players on this team that I find fascinating. Jason Zucker is going to score. He's going to have a bounce goals. back here. He's going to score 100%. 25 goals. Yeah, I wrote an article about that. I'm writing some articles for the Minnesota Wild this year, so I figure we need to talk about them. Um, sneaky good top four, like sneaky fantastic top. Four. I love Matt Dumba. Yeah, like Matt Dumba, I think he's Jared Spurgeon underrated. on the right side. That might be the best right side in hockey now. Now that um, PK Subban's been traded away yeah. out of Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jonas uh, Brodin, uh, underrated player. And Ryan Suter still manages to be super underrated, in my opinion. With his ability to suppress scoring chances, it's always been elite. Every team he goes to has phenomenal numbers at suppressing chances. I don't think it's uh, it's not a coincidence. I don't think it's an accident, but also he's going to be 35. Is this year, maybe he takes a step back. And they need a guy like Dumba or a guy like Spurgeon to really step up and and take it by the reins, right? They need a guy like Devin Dubnik to make a save. Yeah, as saves are always good. Saves are good. What about, uh, like, what do you see from Luke Cunning, Joel Eriksson, like those guys? Jordan Greenway, I think maybe kind of a sleeper to have a pretty good year. I think one of those players has a really good year, and the other two disappoint. And I'm, I, I don't know which. I'm just saying I, I don't think the odds are high, 
but I do think that one of them will break through. I just don't think that all three of them will break through. I think it's probably Erickson Eck would be this, I, would who I would put my money on. I'm leaning towards Luke Kunin, but again, like we'll see. We'll see. They also signed Matt Zuccarello, so sneaky good addition there, but... I don't know, man. The Wild are so weird. They sh- they probably should rebuild, but they can't because of those contracts. They're like trying to kind of go for it, and- but not quite because they traded Michael Granlund for a younger player in Fiala. No one's really sure what they're doing. But Okay, so question. Let's say Minnesota is out of the playoff picture in January or like far back, right? Miko Koivu is on an expiring contract. Do they trade him? Oh... It's going to be hard because, yeah. like, he's their identity, you know what I mean? He's literally their identity. He's the best defensive center in hockey, in my opinion. He's not very good offensively, but he's phenomenal defensively. Than Barkov? I think he's the best defensive center in the league. So, like, I think he's the best at the defensive components of the game. I think his all-around value is, like, a second-line center. But I think his defensive value. I think if you're winning a game by a goal with five minutes left in the game, I don't think He's there's a better. I don't minutes. think there's a better center in the league than Miko Koivu. Now, if you're losing by a goal, Miko Koivu doesn't help you very much. Right. So that's kind of the weird part with him is that he's just so good defensively, but not very good offensively. So maybe a team who thinks that they are lacking in that area. Do they maybe call Minnesota and say, "Hey, like we're gearing up, obviously for a cup run. Maybe you guys are out of it." type situation and how many years are left on his deal that he's a ufa after this year Ooh, that's fast that's what i'm saying isn't he their captain though yeah he is Mm, that's a tricky one okay before dallas stars fans get mad at us any quick thoughts on them i mean i think their power play is going to be very good um i think i mean with jamie ben tyler sagan radulov pavelski and klingberg yeah that's that's not a bad five to throw out not terrible also i think miro haskinen is going to take a another big step this year. I wouldn't be shocked if him and Darlene are top 10 in Norris voting this year. That's how good I think they are. Yeah, like Darlene needs to take a step, a big one, whereas Haskinen was just unbelievable last year. Now, Haskinen might be playing with Roman Polak. He what? So, just looking at their depth chart right now, and I'm not saying it's going to be the case for the entire season, but... So, oh my god, you, that reminds me of when Morgan Riley would had to play with Roman Polak and like I That reminds me of Ro- Morgan gonna... Riley's partner every season where he has to play with Roman Polak or Nikita Zaitsev or Ron Hainsey or <laughs> that that Cody Cece guy who we're not allowed to talk about on this podcast. So here's the thing, Jamie Benn had a terrible year last year. I think he bounced back. Big again, time. I do. I think the fact that you have Joel Pavelski on this roster helps because now Jamie Ben doesn't have to run his own second line. You can run Jamie Ben on a second line with Pavelski, or you can put Ben back up with Sagan. And you and have, have Corey Pavelski Perry. on that second line. Corey Perry could have like a sneaky kind of bounce back here. He's not going to be, you know, prime Corey Perry again, but can he score 20, 25 goals? He's capable. Wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me if you, you play him alongside a good playmaker. Or so. you just smash him in front of the net and be like, you just stand there, please, on the power play. Also, does Andre Sekera stay healthy and have like a weird, strange bounce back here? Or is that Ooh, way too optimistic? I could see that yeah. happening. It's not out of the realm of possibility. So. Um, okay, that leaves us with Chicago. Yeah, do we really have to touch in Chicago? I don't know, man. Like, What is going on there? Uh, Dylan Strom is not going to come close to repeating what he did last year. His on-ice shooting percentage was absurd. It was like double what it should have been, so... 
even though he scored at a close to point per game pace, I, I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen again. How much are they going to have to pay Alex to bring it next year? <laughs> uh, a lot, but he's worth it. He's really good. Here's the thing. How much worse does is Robin Leonard's save percentage this year than it was last year? That's my question. Because I, I don't think there's a much different situation from going... Basically, think about it this way. He went from the 2017 Islanders to the 2018 Islanders, which is the biggest change in structure we saw. And now he's going from the Barry Trotz Islanders to whatever's going on in Chicago, which I think is going to be the biggest change the other way. So, I mean, he's seen it all. He's seen, like, terrible defense. He's seen good defense. Now he's going to see terrible defense again. And is Corey Crawford going to stay healthy? Even if he does, is he going to be the same Corey Crawford he was, you know, from three, four years ago? Or is he going to be the guy that he's been for the last year or two? Yeah, like if you can get 40 or even 35 good games out of Corey Crawford, like, I think that's good. But I, yeah, I'm like you. I have questions. Obviously, Brent Seabrook is uh, not great anymore. Duncan Keith is Duncan Keith. I mean, I'm not even sure if Brent Seabrook's an NHL player anymore, honestly. I think, like, the Calvin DeHaan... I don't know how harsh that is, but yeah, that's five harsh. on five, he's just not very good. Calvin DeHaan, I think, was a really good pickup. It's something they really needed. Um, Connor Murphy I actually I didn't understand has... it from an organizational perspective, like the Calvin DeHaan signing, because that's a, a move you make if you, you know, you're going for it. And if, if your team, like, I don't know, Tampa Bay, for example, like, you really need to add that good defenseman, I can see it. But Chicago doesn't seem like a team that's going to compete really, for the, the championship, and they're adding Calvin DeHaan. I get it. He feels an area of weakness, but what's Chicago doing? Are they rebuilding? Are they trying to go for it? Like, I, I just, I'm confused. I look at their roster. I look at their moves over the last couple of years, and I just, I don't get what the plan is. I don't know. All right, so that's the central. Now, Ian, let's talk about the Atlantic. I think we all have the same top three teams. I think those are consensus among the NHL. Yep. Leafs first, uh, Florida second, and Montreal third. Okay, you're uh, on drugs. Who, who did you... <laughs> What's crazy is that there's a non-zero chance that happens. I mean, this division's so strong. Well, I mean, like, if anyone gets hurt... Montreal's really good. I think Montreal's my sleeper in this division. Are you, Obviously, you're putting that on that Carey Price is healthy the whole year? He doesn't even need to be healthy the whole year. He just, but if he was, if that team repeats everything they did last year, and you give them a league average power play, they probably come second to the division. Mm, I disagree. Okay, I five on five, they were absolutely dominant. The Gallagher, Philip Deneau, Thomas Tatar line was the best line in hockey last year. I also disagree with that. I think Miko Rantanen, Nathan McKinnon, and Gabriel Landeskog were very good. Goal differential, shot differential, scoring chances while facing the toughest competition in the NHL. I mean, people don't realize it because no one was watching their games because no one thought that they were going to make the playoffs. But that's a phenomenal line. Claude Julien probably, if not should have won coach, they probably should come in second for it. He was excellent last year. I don't know, man. I, I like this team. A healthy Shea Weber. Jeff Petrie might be one of the most underrated defensemen Agreed. in the league. Victor... Victor Mete probably st- takes a step forward. Are, I, I like this team. I hate that I like them because I'm from Toronto and I'm supposed to hate them. But, I mean, Kotkaniemi was excellent in third-line minutes last year. Does he take a step forward? Probably. Okay, so Montreal is... I think Montreal pushes for a wild-card spot for sure. Like, I think I they're think right they, there. If they don't I make it, the, they're, like, probably in the, the place afterwards. But I, I really... I think they could get a wild-card spot, which is... 
the selfish part of me really wants the Leafs to win the division just so we can have a Leafs have series because I think that that'd be so good for TV. And it would be a lot of fun, too. I mean, there are some fun rivalries there. But last year it was Tampa 1, Boston 2, Toronto 3. I don't think those same three teams will be in those three spots this year. I think that it changes up a bit. Oh, I, I think that... Tampa, I, I think Tampa 1's a pretty good bet. I think it... I honestly, like, all things being equal, I'd say I agree Tampa probably wins a division. Um, Do we even need to talk about Tampa? I don't know what... Like, no. what's there left to say at this we point? We don't need to talk about Tampa. Tampa's really I good. Think, <laughs> and I think they might have got better from last which year is in a weird way. ridiculous because they got rid of Callahan. They got rid of, like, oh, how's Tampa going to sign all these contracts? They have all these terrible contracts. And then they magically disappeared. And, and then they turned Dan Girardi into Kevin Shattenkirk. And I'm like, well, now, you're, now your defense is better. <laughs> and here's the thing. The players they traded away, well, Matthew Joseph's just going to come up with more minutes and do awesome. Anthony Sorelli. Yeah, Anthony Sorelli could be a sulky, you know, borderline guy. Hey, Patrick Maroon's on this team. Oh, my God, I totally... 900k yeah and curtis McElhaney, who like you know found the 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 fountain of youth in his mid-30s is one of the better backups in the league at least has been for the last couple years so okay so that's tampa what about florida that's easy florida is the interesting one i think because again coaching impacts are things that i think we tend to really underrate i think if you look at any of the research especially michael blake mccurdy's done some great stuff and i know that dawson springings um don't tell me about Hart, also found the same thing and allison lucan just had a huge article about coaching impact and it was so good yeah and it's the the research shows that it has a bigger impact on your results than your quality of competition Mm -hmm. like the, the straight up coaching impacts look at the anaheim ducks last year i mean Hampus Lindholm's a phenomenal player at 5-5, five and five, and he struggled last year because the systems were a disaster. You bring in Joel Quenville to this Florida team, I think at 5-5 five and five they get much better. I think Vincent Trocek has a big bounce back year. Uh, they don't have their same power play coaches last year uh, who helped them have a, what was it, the second or third best second power best play Second best power league? play, and I, they created like the second most chances per two minutes or yep. something like that. Because he's with their Atlantic rival. Yeah. And here's the thing. The Sergei Bobrovsky contract is going to hurt them in the back half of it. Oh, yes. But in this year, in this year, it's going to help them incredibly to the point where they have elite goaltending, most likely, elite coaching, an elite first line, a very strong second line. And Aaron Ekblad had a sneaky dominant year last year at 5-on-5, five five, if you look at some of the closer metrics. I mean, he's like a he shuts down all the zone entries. He's a good at breakout passer. I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not confident in the rest of the blue line. I mean, Mike Matheson does some things. He actually, Aaron Ekblad's one of the best defensemen at getting his shot through from the point, which I found interesting. There's some really interesting names when I went to go look at that. Aaron Ekblad, Connor Murphy was in there, Dustin Bufflin. That's not really a surprise. Um, But getting your shot through is, is pretty important to creating offense, especially when you have guys like Barkov and Huberto at the net front. Just kind of poking around there, Vincent Trocek. I think Florida pushes for a playoff spot, too. I think Florida... I'm not going to say they... I think either Florida or Montreal makes it into the top three of the division this year. I think they're that good. I don't know about that. They're very good. Joel Quenville's a great coach, and this is a way better roster than Chicago's. I guess the defense is is what concerns me a bit. Anton Strahlman isn't what he once was. Uh, Mark Pissick, as much as, you know, Twitter loves him, he's, he's, he's not as good as his, you know, advanced numbers were over the last couple of years. They're an interesting team. 
I just I feel like we don't need to talk as much about Tampa, Toronto, Boston because everyone already knows what they are. Is do you want to talk about one of those teams and dive deep? Uh, I think we'll talk about the Leafs on your podcast because uh, let's that works for me. Stay away from there. Well, the Leafs are a good team. They're great offensively. They're kind of a disaster. Well, not disaster defensively. They're gr- they're phenomenal offensively. Not great defensively. Have one of the better, one of the best goaltenders in the league. And you add it all up, and it's going to be a strong regular season and a question mark in the playoffs that ultimately results in a game seven loss to Boston. Honestly, there. don't just, even. That's their season. That's I, I, we all know it's going to happen. The amount of people that would just lose their minds, mainly Steve Dangle, if that happened for a third year in a row. Like, he would honestly just... I wouldn't even know what to say to him. Other than just laugh. <laughs> it's... I mean, at some point, you just gotta laugh, right? It's oh, it's... It's the... Us Germans, we have a word. It's called Schadenfreude. And that's exactly what I would be doing, is I would just be laughing at all of the, like, diehard Leaf fans who would be just inconsolable after a third Game 7 loss to Boston... It's like, I don't want it to happen because I think, like, we watched the Raptors win this year. We both live in this city, and this place was like nothing I've ever seen before. So if, you would have to think that if the Leafs get even to the that second round... That would be the round, Leafs just winning a Game 7 against Boston. If the Leafs the get to the same second round... <laughs> there'd be a parade. There'd be, they'd be flipping over cars. <laughs> yeah, like, I'm telling you, if the Leafs get to the second round, and let's say, like, Tampa somehow isn't there... Or they're just, they look really good. This, the buzz in the city would just be something that I'd want to be able to soak in just because it's, it's different. Like I've been in Munich when Bayern wins, but that happens every year. So it's become like a thing now. If they don't win, it's a tragedy, right? I want to be there when teams like Edmonton do well, when a team like the Rangers does well, when Toronto and even Montreal, like the buzz created in those cities when those teams are doing well, especially come April, May, I just, that's something that you just can't replicate. And let's be fair, if we all want the cap to go up, those teams need to do well. I still remember the Hockey Night in Canada game where Nazem Kadri had that awesome move against the Canadians and P.K. Subban was getting into it and Gallagher was getting into it. And it's just fun. You like it when big teams, big market teams are succeeding and have rivalries with each other. We see the same thing in the NBA. When the big market teams are doing well, it means more revenue for all 30 teams, and it's, it's just good for business. But let's get to uh, a, a smaller market that I am going to try to make the case for them being a playoff team. Buffalo? Buffalo Sabres. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here we go. Um, I really like their defense relative to what it was last year or the year before that. I feel like they've done a great job at revamping it with some undervalued players, namely Colin Miller, who's my boy. I also think that Ralph Kruger is super underrated. um, And the fact that you were advocating for him to get a job in the NHL like months ago. So you must be through the over the moon for this. Oh, well, you know me and my cross sport tactics. This guy's been at Southampton in the English Premier League for a couple years now. He's been in Europe, so I guarantee you he's been picking the minds of whether it's the hockey coaches over there, definitely the soccer people over there. I'm really interested to see... um, I'll be able to, like, probably to recognize it, but I'll be interested to see what, if anything, he really brings from a cross-sport tactic perspective to Buffalo because it'll be something that the NHL coaches haven't necessarily seen. And so it might be a little bit harder to adjust to. 
And if you get Jack Eichel or Jeff Skinner just that little bit of room, like that's really all Jack Eichel needs. I have a checklist of things that they need to do to be a, a playoff team. Oh, hit me. Uh, Jack Eichel needs to start driving play at 5 and 4. 100% non-negotiable. He's phenomenal talent. I mean, on the power play, it's just special to watch him. But at 5 on 5, dude, you got to outshoot and outchance the op- opposition. Mm-hmm. You just need to. If you want to be a top 10 center in the league, that's something you got to do. I say the same thing about Matthews. Whenever I see him get outshot against like David Krejci, I'm like, dude, unacceptable. You just you got to be better. If you want to be one of the top 5, top 10 guys in the league, these are things you need to do. Yes. Um, Casey Middlestat needs to be a... A middle six player at five and five because I just I don't think he was last year. And I think he'd be benefit more. He would benefit more from playing on the wing. I just I don't quite think he can play center at the NHL level. If he's playing alongside someone like Sam Reinhart, I think he can because again with with three forwards on the ice at the same time, if your center kind of struggles defensively, then I'm of the opinion that if you have a strong winger beside him defensively, that can really help alleviate some of that. And Sam Reinhart is a very good two-way player. He's not as good of an offensive player as he was projected to be when he was drafted second overall, but he's a very strong 200-foot player. So maybe a middle stat Reinhart combination works at five and five. And the other thing is that you, you got to stop giving Rasmus Ristolainen so many goddamn minutes. Uh, oh my god! You lo- yeah, you have a lot of defensemen that are better than him. Well, they've you got have- Colin Miller, Rasmus Dahlin, Brandon Montour. Like that's a top three. That's a legit top three. I like him. I, I mean, I still think Colin Miller is probably more of a number four than a number three. And I think Brandon Montour is more of a number three, number four than a number two. But I think Rasmus Dahlien is, in a year or two, going to be the best defenseman in the NHL. I just, I can't say enough good things about him. I think he could, ha- I wouldn't be shocked if after this year, if he's dominant at five and five, puts up over 60 points, does it leads the league in zone exits. I think he was second last year behind Sam Girard. In, in zone exit percentage, he's just, he's phenomenal. He's good at everything. So if Jack Eichel's driving play, if Casey Middlestat is legit, if the defense is legit and you get league average goaltending, which I think you can from someone like Carter Hutton, then yeah, this could be a playoff team. I mean, a, a few things need to go their way, but they have the talent. They just, they need their young talent to take a step forward. Right. And I'm curious to see if that happens. And then I think we could just leave Ottawa. Could we not? I mean, Connor Brown, 25 goal score. Yes. <laughs> Brady Kachuk leads their team in scoring. Thomas Shabbat is probably going to be their best player. God bless you, Senators fans, if you have to deal with Nikita Zaitsev on the power play. Um, Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev as a pairing is just something I've always wanted to see for like good God. A, a couple games. Don't wish that upon them. We finally get that chance. We never got that chance in Toronto. Well, you now know, we DJ, you know what I've told you about how DJ Smith loves Hainsey and Zaitsev. Like, do not be surprised. Trust if me. Out trust there. me. I'm well aware. I've watched it for the last couple of years. I want to see, though, the one thing I'm interested in is Eric Brandstrom. What's his role? How big of an opportunity does he get? That kind of like I'm interested to see how they handle how they handle him. Uh, Detroit, is there any reason to think they take a step forward this year? Or is this just another kind of tank year and get more young assets? I think it's a young asset year. I mean, they've got Zadina coming. Um, Cider is Anthony Mantha become... probably takes a step forward. That's what I was going to say. Know? Anthony Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi. Actually, I would be interested to see how Taro Heroes looks. Um. But then again, you've got that those... sounds like a fake player. <laughs> that sounds like that guy that the Ducks invented when they they were mad and they drafted that. Uh, what was his name? Oh, 
I Taro Tajisu or whatever. I Taro. don't even remember, but I know exactly Taro, what you're talking about. Taro Sujimoto, the with silent oh, T. Taro God. Sujimoto is a fictional hockey player who was selected 183rd overall in the 11th round of the 1974 NHL amateur. And draft. that is why we don't go past seven rounds anymore. All right. So that's so that's literally what I'm gonna call Taro. What's his name? Heroes. <laughs> Taro Heroes. So, Taro Sujimoto. Same player. That is... Okay, hold on. Let's quickly touch on Boston. We didn't do Boston, did we? Do you really want to touch on Boston? They're Boston. They're the same thing. They're like Tampa. Yeah, I don't really know what to say at this point. I'm like, that top line's the best... I, I know I said the Montreal Canadiens line was the best line in no. hockey last year. Yeah. But <laughs> Boston's I feel top like line's insane. In a do-or-die game, like in a playoff game, like which line do you want? I'm like, I want Marshan Bergeron Pasternak. That's the line I want. Uh... Yeah, it's it's literally like the exact same team it was. Last I think Charlie year. McAvoy Shane. takes a huge step forward. Probably ends up as their number one defenseman by the end of the year, if not at least. Hasn't on their he top been? Pairing. Hasn't he been their number one defenseman for the past couple? Well, of years? you would argue. People would argue that it's Chara, but Chara. Ah, well, I, I, I love Chara. Charlie McAvoy but, is going to be their best defenseman by the end of the year. Like I, I could see him in the Norris conversation. Is kind of what I'm getting at. Like, give me your top. Give me your top three Norris uh, bets this oh. year. Uh, Miro Heiskanen. Oh wow! Um, okay. Hmm. Victor Hedman. That's always a good guess. Uh, can I give you five? Yeah, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. All right. So we got Miro. Um, I think maybe Charlie McAvoy gets in that mix. Um. A San Jose defenseman, so either Burns or Carlson, and then a San Jose defenseman. I think I think you know this one's coming. Uh, Morgan Riley. Uh, okay, all right. I'm gonna make you happy, and I'm gonna say PK Subban, uh, New Jersey Devil, elite defenseman supreme. I th- <laughs> uh, you can't call. Can you comment on that? I don't know. Are you allowed to? I'm just gonna. I don't choose wanna get you not trouble. to. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I like the idea of Rasmus Dahlin climbing into the top five. Oh, um, Seth Jones. I'll say Seth Ooh, Jones. That'll be yes. Yeah. He probably. Where did he finish last year? Because he, I thought he had a phenomenal. I think last year. he finished top ten. I think. But here's the thing. I feel like the players we're talking about are going to be the players who kind of deserve to win it. Whereas it's just going to be the defense with the most points. Oh my! I hate that. And it's funny, for the longest time, we're told, like, hey, analytics nerds, it's not just about the numbers. And then how do you award points? Well, the heart goes to the forward with the most points. The Selkie goes to the defensive forward with the most points. <laughs> the Selkie and is the, the most Norris- ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> and the Norris goes to the defense with the most points. I'm like, it's at so some point, bad. shouldn't we be looking for more than just goals and assists? I mean, especially when we're talking about 200-foot play. Come on. Okay, so let's do this one quickly, because a couple people asked this question for our mailbag. Big four, rank the RFA signings from best to uh, not so great. Obviously, big uh, four Mitch, is... Mitch Marner, number one. Oh, God. We're talking uh, for the player, right? <laughs> okay. Most, like, best contract to worst contract for the big four. All right. Uh, best discount, I guess. So who are the big four, I guess? Aho, Point, Marner, Rantanen. See, I'd rather have Matthew Kachuk on my team than Miko Rantanen. I don't know if that's a hot take, but... I tend to agree. Okay, you want to throw okay. Kachuk in there too? We could throw Kachuk in Let's there. Let's call it a big five because I think Kachuk is, even though most people don't consider him as good because of the whole points thing, again, this is another situation where I'm like, well, points are a bit overrated because Matthew Kachuk is like, 
you know, a baby version of Mark Stone. He's just phenomenal at five and on five. And he's a jerk. And- I hate him. I hate him so okay, much. Okay, so why don't we do on, this? We'll rank the big if I was, four. If he was on the team I cheered for, I'd probably have a Matthew Kachuk jersey. He's just that kind of player. Okay, so you know? why don't we do this? We'll rank the big, like, we'll rank the big four because that's what the summer basically had them as. And then we'll talk about the briefly Kachuk, Line A, Connor signings. All right. I think Braden Points is the most team friendly of the Oh, my God. Tracks. Okay, agreed. But I, you could also make an argument that it's Chinaho. Sebastian Ajo. Yeah, okay. So I have them the one term. as well. Yeah. I think honestly, I'd rather have Sebastian Aho at five years for eight point four million than point for three years at six point seven five. Just because I like having the term on the player, and is it crazy to suggest that Sebastian Aho is a better player than Braden Point? Uh, I I think Braden Point's better, but okay. I I prefer Aho personally, but they're both phenomenal centers. They're both like those are two jokes of a contract. So, oh my god! When I those saw the, top the Braden Point easily. contract, I actually was like, "Are you joking?" I thought Matthew Kachuk's was like fair value, basically for what he was, three years, seven million. I didn't think it was an overpay. I didn't think it was an underpay. I thought it was just, you know, yep. paying for what you're getting. I thought Rantanen's was a bit of an overpay. Yep. I And I yep. thought that Marner's is a joke. I can't remember the last time a really good player got that overpaid. Maybe Eichel? Yeah. That I, well, remember how everyone thought the Leon Dreisaitl contract was when they signed it? I remember people being like, how was Peter Shirelli allowed to sign that contract? And now he has 50 and goals. here's the thing. But everyone makes that com- comparison, and it would still be better to have Leon Drysaddle at seven million or seven point yeah, exactly. five million than at than at eight and a but half. But what I'm saying is, is, is it didn't turn out to be as bad as everyone had originally thought. I'm not saying that's that fair. that's going to happen I, with I'm, Mitch Marner, but I have I have it ranked the same way you do. Like, or no, I think our one and two is switched. But I have written, and then I have Marner. Yeah, I. I, people are going to think I hate Miko Ranton, and it's just, I think it's more, it says more about what I think about Nathan McKinnon than it yes. is what I say about Ranton. Okay. I think McKinnon is a top three player in the world. I, I think, well, maybe four, because McDavid, Crosby, Kucherov, McKinnon. No, I have and maybe McDavid, McKinnon, Crosby, Kucherov. Okay, and then Mark Stone, I think you could throw yep, into that I discussion too. I think Mark Stone's too. in that discussion. Yeah. I think. I mean, I think it's McDavid one, yeah. and then I, th- I feel like you can make a solid case for the other guys for number yeah, two. Yeah, but I think McDavid is one. Like, <laughs> it's pretty clear that he's one. But like, what my point is that McKinnon's just so good that I feel like getting to play with him really inflates your numbers. And I don't think Miko Rantanen can drive a line the same way that Sebastian Ajo can. Right. Or. Here's the thing. Are we sure Braden Point can drive a line? Oh, I am. Yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm he, pl- sure. he gets to play with that Nikita Kucherov guy. Uh, that, that tends to help. Okay, I'm still sure that you could play him with relatively anyone, and he would be fine. But he's five foot nine, so you should probably draft him in the third round. Oh my god. Okay, so even though he like destroyed the WHL for the last, I'd say like what last five minutes, maybe let's let's talk about the other three contracts that that got signed. Kachuk, Line A, Connor. You want to hit Kachuk first because you seem to really like him. Oh, I love Kachuk. I think I think he's he... Brad Marchand two point Like, except he's bigger. I I think he's he's much better than Marchand was at the same age. Yes. Uh, but now Marchand got hundred points last year, so that's pretty hard to argue. 
Well, I'm, I'm never. I'm not sure if he's ever going to be that good, but I I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up having a career similar to Mark Stone's, where he's just always super underrated for his contributions at five on five. His point totals are always very good. It's like, yeah, this guy's a first line player, but when you look beneath the surface, you realize it's so much more than that. He's actually one of the most valuable players in the league at five on five. See, I think that Chuck is so important because he does. I I don't know what it is with the Kachuk brothers, but like. With Matthew, you get... They're assholes? <laughs> yeah. Like, they bring that Brad Marchand, like, you're a dick type of personality. But then it's like, oh, I'm a jerk. I'm going to goat you in to drawing, like, to taking a penalty. And then I'm going to score on the power play just to piss you off. And then he's going to make a face to the bench. Yeah, and then he's- <laughs> that's Matthew Kachuk. And I think that's that's something where when people talk about, oh, this team lacks toughness or this team lacks, like, sandpaper. Like, Matthew Kachuk, if you look up sandpaper, is physically just sandpaper. And is also an elite two-way player. Exactly. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> it's just it's ridiculous. I think so. And that's where I think... I feel like we should get into this on a different podcast because you don't have time today. But I feel like... And it's like, funny because he's my least favorite player in the NHL. I hate him. I, but I'm willing to admit that he's phenomenal. I like. I think the RFA market did change a bit. And there's definitely some numbers to that kind of back that. But, okay, so we both like the Matthew Kachuk contract i, think I still think getting... they probably should have you shouldn't be signing him for more than Braden points so i feel like that's a bit of an l on the negotiation in that regard right but i again i'm not unhappy with having matthew kachuk on my team for three, three years. years at seven million yeah okay so you can do line a or connor i'll let you pick let's go line a. i think it's more interesting okay so i what did i tell you i want to say in like july that he was going to sign a two-year deal yeah, I thought, uh, I guess the team was unwilling to do a one-year deal. I bet you that's what Lonnie really wanted to do. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I probably would too. But I just, I, I always had this like sneaking suspicion that he would get, he would go two years and then he would use like his first year to kind of improve his, be defensively kind of better, or at least contribute when he's not scoring 18 goals in 12 games. And Patrick Lonnie, Selkie contender. You heard it here first. Yes, no. He is going to be like Ovechkin. He's not winning the Selkie, but he'll probably score you 50 I think he's, goals. I think so he's you don't much need him worse defensively. Yeah. It's funny. He's much worse defensively than Ovechkin. He's not very good at five on five, but uh, see, he's. Is he the best power play weapon in the league? Ooh, that. I mean, Nikita Kucherov exists. And Ovechkin exists, but I'm oh man. There's an argument that it's Lonnie because Lonnie scores from farther back than anyone in the league. Even Ovechkin doesn't. Sometimes Lonnie's standing between the top of the circle and the blue line, and he's still in scoring position. See, I think so with Lonnie. That's just ridiculous. Contract speaking, <laughs> I always thought that it was going to take almost seven million to get it done. Like I didn't think he was being outrageous and asking for nine or ten million on a bridge. Like that would have been stupid. Like a Mitch Marner oh, request? Yeah, well, you know what? At least he had 94 how, points. How about as Kyle Dubas ridiculous offering as it was. 8.75 million for two years? Ugh, I don't oh, want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. No, we're not talking about it. Yeah. Um, what's, Lani, what's the like, AAV on Lonnie's two-year deal? 6.75. That sounds about right. Yeah, like it's... The guy... You know what? And we always talk about how scoring is big in this league. If you can... Goal scoring is the hardest thing to do, and if you're good at it, then you're going to get paid. Patrick Lonnie might not be very good at anything else but he's had three straight 30 goal seasons he's probably gonna hit 50 more than once in his career um so i think he has the best shot in the nhl i don't think he's the best goal scorer in the nhl but he has the best I think shot that, that's either ovechkin and or matthews 
but just pure shooting ability. This guy's gonna be shooting from this location. I'm like, yeah, give me Patrick Lane because yeah, he's unstoppable from distance, and it's the Steph Curry effect. It opens up space for other players on the team, and he doesn't even need to. He doesn't touch the puck on Mark Shifley's wide open goals, but they're because of Patrick Lane, and that has so much value. So I think yeah, I think Lane. Get he he probably performs well in this contract. This is his prove it contract, and the way he just carries himself, I it's hard to bet against the fact that a guy with that kind of personality is gonna do anything but prove it and potentially even jam it down their throat. Think of PK Subban after his exactly. Bridge deal. That that's like my best comparable I can think of in the modern game at least. Okay, so now that leaves us with Kyle Connor, who is seven years. 81 million dollars which is his number Kyle Connor needs to fire his agent um yeah I okay, I mean if, obviously not as bad as like Kevin LeBanc how how much better is Mitch Marner than Kyle Connor like he's better but how not much better is he three and a half million dollars better Ugh, Kyle like, Connor scores on, more these guys on bridge deals got very similar <laughs> AAV to what this guy signed for in a long-term deal. I'm like, come on, Kyle Connor, you can do better than that. I think it's just like, I, I read somewhere that with what they signed, it gives them basically the exact amount of money they need if Dustin Buffling comes back. Um, but that's like, that's a really valuable contract for Winnipeg. <laughs> like, I don't think they're going to have issues moving Kyle Connor at any point in that contract if they decide that they need to do that. Um, he's gonna score for them. He's their net front power play. He's probably good for like, thirty-five man, goals. Man, oh, what are we year. gonna do with this? This like guaranteed thirty-goal scorer on a on a good contract? Yeah. I just I don't know if we're gonna be able to move it or not. Like, <laughs> trust me, there are thirty teams who are interested. Exactly. Like, I'm honestly had Edmonton not been in the cap nonsense that they're in, Kyle Connor is probably who I would have gone after. Because I think they probably would have paid him more. They would have offered him more. And could you imagine Connor playing with other Connor? Kyle Connor, Connor McDavid. That'd be just fun. the two Connors. Just put them. I together. still want to see Hosang and McDavid because I think Hosang might be sneakily one of the fastest hockey players in the world. But we never get to see it at the NHL level. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, that's a whole can of worms though. Yeah. The, the Joshua Hosang situation. I I mean I think we can both agree that the Kyle Connor contracts is it's. It's a sweetheart deal for Winnipeg. They got It's not in line with the other ones that have been signed over the last month or two. Yeah. Alrighty. So with that, that's the season preview. Up over an hour today. Holy moly. First time. We broke the hour mark. We did it. Woo! That's Ooh, probably not gonna happen very often. I'm gonna have no voice tomorrow again. Hooray. Yeah, we're not gonna have the energy. <laughs> oh my god, no. Uh but yeah, no, it was a good talk. Uh Real quick, who is your Stanley Cup final right now on the eve of the regular season? Ooh. Give me Vegas and Tampa. I See, I think it's a Vegas... Mm, I, I want to say... See, I like Calgary. I like, oh, Calgary. like Calgary. I like Calgary, and then the East is... I don't know. Like, the safe bets, Tampa... I guess. Is it though? With with <laughs> I think I see I think what happened to them last year is gonna be a real kick in the pants. And it they might just come back this year and tail it like in the regular season and then in the playoffs just hit the gas and go. You know what I'm saying? So I, I see Tampa in the final. Like I, I, I want I want Carolina to make a run. Me they too. They need some they need reliable goaltending for that, and I'm not sure if they're gonna have it. We'll see. But All right. The playoffs are a crapshoot anyways. 
yeah, playoff, it's who knows in hockey. Alrighty, so that is this week's edition of the Staff and Graph Podcast season preview. We'll have a week of hockey to talk about by the time I'm sure we something come back. crazy will happen and we'll have uh, topics that we love and topics that we aren't so in love with that we'll still have to talk about because and we'll have the numbers first... to back it up large samples of like two games to talk about it's gonna be, it's gonna be amazing <laughs> <laughs> but i'm looking forward to it hockey's finally back it's gonna be a fun year we'll be back on tuesday everybody all right talk then take care thank you for listening to the staff and graph podcast you can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and The Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graff. <laughs>